Welcome to the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank. First Merchants Bank, helping you prosper. Put it in the upper right-hand corner, just like a postage stamp. That's a good bingo! Get ready to learn more about the Columbus Blue Jackets players and coaches, as well as find out what's going on this week in the NHL. Now let's join Bob McGilligan and Jody Shelley for the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank. Welcome to the Inside Edge, which is being presented by First Merchants Bank. I'm Bob McElligan, along with Jody Shelley. Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to talk a little player development with Chris Clark. He's the general manager of the Cleveland Monsters, a Monsters team that has had a very good season. They're battling right now for the top of their division, and uh, they want to get them into the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs. We'll talk with Chris about that in just a little bit. But, Jody, right now, the Blue Jackets have come out of the All-Star break. They've played two games. They've lost those two games, however... The losses have been in different ways. You go back to Saturday night, they lose 4-2 to two to the Tampa Bay Lightning here at Nationwide Arena, 4-2 to two with an empty net goal for Tampa in that one. So a close game that the Blue Jackets battled back in. And then last night, they go to Ottawa, get the first goal of the game, playing really well in the early part of the uh, first period, controlling the game. Things are going their way. Dmitry Voronkov tips a puck in for a goal. They get on the board first, all of those great things. And then all of a sudden, about 10 minutes into the first period, it falls apart. There's turnovers. There's two-on-ones the other way. And at the end of the game, the Blue Jackets lose it. 6-3 to three was the final score. So, again, kind of uh, two from different ends of the spectrum, the way those losses went down for the Blue Jackets. Yeah, and two goaltenders that had not played in a while, and Tarasov and Forsberg, and, and Forsberg for the – Ottawa Senators didn't look comfortable in the net. I didn't think that game was over until late in the game when they got that empty netter. You know, I, I still thought with six minutes left, the Blue Jackets were going to be able to, you know, grab that game. Too many mistakes. You know, we saw a lot of odd man rushes. Uh, Ottawa sharpened up their defensive game. They they looked really stingy, really good sticks. Uh, but the Blue Jackets top line with Boone Jenner, Johnny Goodrow, and Jack Roslovic, uh, they were pushing. They were they were a handful for the Senators. Uh, I didn't think Tarasov looked very comfortable in the game early. I think a lot of those grade-A chances, uh, one of the goals, you could tell by his reaction, he didn't like the way he played it. Um, so there's a combination of things that, you know, I think they found a way to lose that game, uh, which is frustrating for, for the team because going into the break, the one nothing win was tremendous in St. Louis. And, and, you know, it's such a great thing for a coach and a team morale to figure out how to win a one nothing game because there's a lot of moments where um, – you think teams would sit back and hang on in that situation, but it's almost like they just stuck with their game, and, and it was like a well-oiled machine, just cranking line after line. Uh, Tampa game was good. Vasilevsky was tremendous, and, and there was opportunity there. So you, you feel like the team is coming along, and then you see holes in the lineup where uh, just mistakes are made or a line goes out and loses momentum. But I thought special teams, was there was too, many, too, many, uh, too much time in the box and too much time on the power play not getting momentum, not getting set up in the offensive zone, not being a threat. And that takes away from the team. Plus, you have players who are sitting on the bench for a lot of the game, not getting minutes. So this team needs to uh, obviously stay out of the penalty box. But when the power play is out there, you've got to carry the, the, the game. You've got to create that momentum. I thought the second period last night was awesome. They grabbed it. You know, the, the Boone Jenner effect to me is huge where it doesn't matter what's happening or who just scored. It's like, okay, we come out and play the same way. And for this team now, Bob, you know, we hear how they're building and how things are coming along. They played just over 50 games with the head coach. You're starting to see them come together. I love how he's positive and he's really thorough on uh, – Pascal's thorough on what he sees and honest in his evaluation. 
But that's a disappointing loss in my mind on the road, a team that's got a couple injuries, a team that you can beat. Uh, the penalty kill has got to be figured out for this team right now. Uh, it's such a, it's such a, a, a great challenge. The, the penalty killers love the challenge. And when they were playing earlier in the season and playing well, you know, you could talk to guys like Branson and they'd be like, you know, we love it. I mean, it's just assignments work. You have to work together so well in the defensive zone. Uh, you have to be on the same page all the time. But right now, it just seems like there's too many holes in those in, in some of those passing plays and, and, and the plays that are coming off the goaltender where uh, they're getting they've lost some confidence. They're, they're, they're working themselves out of position a little bit. So, you know, you get those things shored up and, and that's a different game. Two, there could have been two shorthanded goals last right. night. There was one. The second one was taken away because of goaltender interference. You mentioned Goodbranson. You know, ironically, and he is one of your best penalty killers. He gets that puck on his stick, and he rims it around the boards, and it's out nine out of ten times. He was in the box twice last night. Zach Wierenski was in the box twice last night. That's unusual for both of those guys. Yeah, and that, that hurts. That's, that, those are guys that can make kill plays, and, and that's something the Blue Jackets have had a tough time with is – you know, stopping the play from going behind the net, not allowing bobbled pucks to be recovered because those guys can anticipate and be on top of it. So, um, yeah, that you know, that's a really good point. You get the couple of those guys in there. But also, you know, guys want opportunity. And, and when you when you do get your chance to get out there and, and it doesn't work out, it, it's, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. There's no doubt about that. And, and as you said, the Blue Jackets are they're, they're trying to find themselves right now. But Johnny Gaudreau, uh, in both of those games, the Tampa game, it, he, he had some rough spots last night. I'll, I'll give you that. But um, the Tampa game, he was really a driving force. He and Boone Jenner are back to being that good tandem working together on their line. And I actually thought Jack Roslevic had some jump in his step last night. Well, he got an opportunity on the top line. I mean, he comes back from injury. He's looking for a goal. Uh, he takes a lot of pride. Anyone does in playing about that, that top line. And he's there because Chinnikov is injured. And... You know, that's the opportunity he has to take. He is a guy that can carry the puck on the wing or in the middle of the ice. It depends on where he gets it. He's a good puck distributor, and he's really cleaned up a lot of his game where he does not make the extra play or take the extra second and a half with the puck where, where those passing lanes are closing. And, you know, it, it's a lot to play with, with really good players, but I think he can do it. He's got, that, he's got the confidence to, to keep the puck. He's got the confidence not to force it, and I love that he took that tough angle shot last night and it ended up going in for him because, you know, the, everyone wants to have success and help the team win, and I feel like Jack has got the skill set. Let's see now if he gets the footing. So what do you think this team is kind of in their own heads right now? Today is a scheduled day off, so there's no practice today. Uh, then they're going to practice tomorrow and head out to California where they're going to play three games over the course of, what, five days or whatever it is. Um you know, mentally, going into the break, as you said, you win one to nothing, you go on vacation for a week and a half, and you feel great. Now you come out, you drop a couple, uh, couple of games, and today you've had to sit all day and think about what happened to you last night. I don't think they think about what happened to you last night. I think today is a day to kind of recharge and refresh. It's Valentine's Day, so they'll spend time with their loved ones and, and kind of get away from the game a little bit, and then roll your sleeves up and get ready for these next three games. And when you look at San Jose and Anaheim and L.A., who's really struggling. I mean, they lost last night 7 nothing to Buffalo. Uh, they made a coaching change. This is a different team and a different um, – they're in a different spot than they were when they were here last. They, they were top of the league. They were rolling along. So these are three winnable games, and I think it's really going to show that if this process is really working and this is really something that is building, 
then they go out there and they sweep this trip. I, that's my expectation because, you know, you you have to learn from your losses and you have to learn from your wins. And when you when you think about the St. Louis win, when you think about, okay, you hear they played well against Tampa, all right. Well, you didn't play well last night against Ottawa. Um, so, and it's circumstantial, like I said, too many penalties. And now you're going into teams that are struggling and teams in San Jose who's just a, a mixed bag of, of players and they've got injuries as well. Uh, you have to go in there and play your game. And, and that's, the, that's where I think they're at. I think that they are honestly, when I watch them practice, when I watch them play those moments like they did in the second and even parts of that third period, um, they need to be that team that we expect them to be and take that step. So I, I think mentally they're starting to get what they're supposed to be. And I think the coach is too. I mean, he's a new coach in the NHL, and he's had a lot of things to lay down firmly. He's backed off on a few things as far as system-wise to try to cater to some of the players offensively. But I think the two indicators for me are Zach Wierenski and Boone Jenner. To me, they look like the players they need to be. Zach is now flying up the ice. Uh, he knows when to go. He's getting his shots through. He, he has no hesitation in his game. Boone Jenner is just a driver. And that's how our, that's how this team has to play. And I think that uh, for them now, as they step out west, you you have to have everybody in the rhythm of playing that way. I think Zach Wierenski is back to playing that way because Adam Boquist is back in the lineup. And, and I've said this a million times. It's crazy to me because I wouldn't have thought of putting those two together on the same pairing just because they're both offensively minded. Uh, you know, the, the offense is better than the defense in a lot of cases. But when they play together – they just figure it out, and you can tell where Zach is really comfortable. And I, I talked to him yesterday uh, before we um, before we went to the game on the bus, and you know he talked about that. He goes, "Yeah, it's just great to have him back because I just know what he's going to do, and I can read off of him very well." So that comfort level really shows through in the way that Zach is playing the game right now. Yeah, he's. I, I agree with that. You know, maybe they're like, maybe Zach sees Adam go up and he's like, wait a second, I want to be up there with the puck. <laughs> they race to get up the ice. Uh, but I also think there's something Zach is doing uh, that's different. There, there's an ease to his game. And I think that early on when he came back to start the season, uh, when he started his season, there was a lot of hesitation. Uh, how's that shoulder going to take a hit? It's been a couple, it's been twice now he's had to deal with shoulder injuries and, and, you know, there's something in your head about that puck in the face. There, there's a few injuries that are, that can be traumatic for a player, and that he would never admit it probably. But there, or maybe he would. He's such an honest guy <laughs> with us. Uh, there's hesitation in situations, you know, and things happen fast and collisions come quick. And he's gotten through that. Then he gets out with that other injury, the ankle. And and since he's come back, he's taking control of the ice. And and that's the type of player he is. And. The Boquist factor is one thing. I like him with Gabranson, too. I think that there's something that Zach, but, you know, he plays that certain way. But we are comfortable. We, When you see Zach with the puck or up the ice or the first guy in the forecheck even, it's like, all right, Zach's back. Yeah. And, and the players see it and they feel it because, listen, we read off each other on the ice. So if you're ahead of me, well, that means I'll stay back. And – if you're not going, then I'm not sure if I should go. There's hesitation all over. So those guys driving it help everybody, and I think more guys need to. And I'll give them a pass last night because a lot of guys, Corrali didn't get much time. Danforth didn't get much time. Uh, the, Sillinger didn't get much time. You know, Bemstrom's back in the lineup. 
he was a healthy scratch. He's on the power play. You know, that's a great opportunity. But that's hard as well because he he feels like he's got a really short leash on. So he's not playing that game we saw him play earlier in the game, he's, he, early in the season. And it's hard when you're on the ice, on the bench for five minutes, then back on the ice, back on the bench for 10 minutes. It's a tough rhythm to get into. So the, we'll give him a bit of a pass last night on, on some of those things. But those two players for me are the guys that drive it on all situations. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in California. I like your. I like the way you broke that down, and you're absolutely right. Three winnable games coming yeah, up for the go Blue win Jackets. Them. Yeah, that that would be absolutely great. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk with a guy whose team has won a lot this year, and they need to win a lot more. And that is Chris Clark. He's the general manager of the Cleveland Monsters. He joins us as the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank, continues here on ninety-seven point one. The Fan. Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Don't miss out on the Margaritaville ticket package. Every purchase includes a game ticket and an exclusive Margaritaville Hawaiian shirt. Get your tickets by going to bluejackets.com slash Margaritaville. Welcome back to the Inside Edge, which is presented by First Merchants Bank. I'm Bob McElligot. And, Jody, I have a trivia question for you before we start this next segment. Prior to Alex Ovechkin becoming the captain of the Washington Capitals, who was the previous captain? Chris Clark, and I, you know, I knew that I know this because um, I, I remember seeing Chris talk to Ovechkin after a game in the hallway, and I thought, well, this guy's—they're really good friends. They know each other well, and I could tell Ovechkin was has a lot of respect for Chris Clark. And then I looked it up, and yeah, that's—I uh, actually saw the team photo with Chris with the uh, C on there with Ovechkin. Absolutely right, and that former captain is with us right now because <laughs> Chris is uh, now the general manager for the Cleveland Monsters. He does all of the uh, well, he makes sure that they have a team up there and sometimes that can be a challenge depending upon the health situation here in Columbus. So Chris, thanks for being on with us tonight. Really appreciate that and uh, I just looked it up. I can't believe that that was back in January of 2010 when Ovechkin was named captain after you got traded here to the Blue Jackets. Do you can you remember that far back? I know you can remember it, but do you remember what the feelings were like when you got dealt out of Washington and came here? Yeah, yeah, I actually remember pretty well because it was only a couple of days after Christmas. Um, I think it was the 28th when the uh, when it opened up for uh, trades. Um, yeah, it was actually it was, it was a game day. I can't remember who we were playing, but I was getting ready, putting my tie on. I get a I get a call from George McPhee, and you know, the, back at that time, you you get a call from anybody in, in management, and you're like, uh oh. What's going on? Did I do something wrong or I'm traded? Um, and it was the latter. So I met him in the office and they told me I was traded here. And when you came here, I was trying to think about this last night. I can't remember all of the names, but I remember one of the selling points here was there were like four or five former captains in the room. I know Ethan Morrow was one at the time that was here. And, and Rick Nash was the captain at that very time, which I find funny now because you were one of the guys that had the experience that was trying to help a, a younger Rick Nash uh, be a captain, learn how to be a leader in this league, and now you just sit right next to him in the same office, and you're still helping him out in some ways, right? <laughs> oh, he helps me out yeah. just as much as I help him out. Um, you know, we're, we've become pretty good friends now, and obviously we're sharing that office and, and sharing stories and, and going over different things about because we're basically doing the same thing just with different guys in our organization. He's got the... The young, young guys, um, him and him and Doris, um, and I got the guys after after they turned pro and, and head to Cleveland. So you know, I take over where he uh, he left off, and it's it's good because I, I 
you know, I ask him all the questions of how they do in junior, you know, what were they like, what are their personalities, so I can take over there and help the coaches out and, uh, and kind of get these players to where they want to be. Speaking of coaches, um, Trent Vogelhuber represented the Monsters in the American Hockey League All-Star Game. This guy is um, he's making a name for himself, isn't he, in the hockey world because he's, he's young, he's only in his mid-30s, um, he's a head coach, he kind of got thrust into that role a little bit early a couple of years ago when Mike Eves was, uh, had some health problems and he couldn't coach. But it seems like Trent has really grabbed onto this and he's a student of the game and, and he's really making himself better day in and day out. You deal with him all the time. Can you tell us about that? It is. He, or he is. Um, and he was the player that, that we knew. You know, he was one of our draft picks. So we had him in Springfield and we had him in, uh, in uh, Cleveland. Then he went off to the Colorado organization. We brought him back. But he was the type of guy that, I think we knew, management knew that he'd be a coach, but I didn't think he thought he was going to be a coach when he was done. Um, but he stepped into the role, and he's been great. He's been great ever since, you know, as an assistant coach, as associate coach with Mike Eves, and then, again, as a head coach. He's, uh, he takes everything in. He's a student of the game. He, he talks to other coaches. He talks to uh, Bednar in Colorado and Pratt. Those guys were kind of mentors to him right now. Um, I know he's talked to those guys quite a bit, so he's – He's definitely uh, done a lot with uh, the little time he's been in charge. When uh, you, you look at a coach like that, what makes him? Uh, what makes him a good coach? He's, he's he can still think like a player because he is young enough. You know, it hasn't been too long um, since he's been out of the game, so he, he he thinks like a player where he's he's got their back, and the players love playing for him. Um, he's not a guy that he he hasn't gotten so far removed from the game that he doesn't remember what it's like to sit in the dressing room in between periods and you know have so he's done a lot that way but he he's he's really he knows the x's and o's obviously he knows all those things but he, he's just got that passion and the guys feel it and they they know they want to play for him so it, it's even when guys come in and come back or go somewhere else i'll see him in the hallway before a game and he's like ah, it's not the same you know they, they yeah, i loved it here i love my time here or guys that come in he's like yeah, you guys you guys do it a different way. This is this is fun to play. Even even last year and the year before when it wasn't going well with wins and losses, guys still loved being here because they knew every day they had a chance to win and they were putting their best foot uh, uh, forward to find a to find a win. Isn't that? Uh, it's nice to have that experience. And I think about you in, in your role now. Um, how much do you lean on that experience for you being on the bus, being in college, being in the American Hockey League uh, on the bus? That's why I said that. And then uh, <laughs> being in the National Hockey League. Well, I, I think it was great. And I think that's why guys that have that experience are really good at, uh, at player development because you're going to get it, – it's all about experiences. It's all about, uh, you know, I went through that. I can relate to that. So when, when players are going through it as a young player, they think they're the only person in the whole league going through that situation. But they don't realize that almost everybody has, you know, and and having a good development coach like we have with with Doris and, and Rick has that side where we've had some really high draft picks. So so Nasher really can relate to those high draft picks and the pressures and the world junior pressures and all those things. So it's it's all about experience and you just kind of share experience and it and it, it it lets the guard down on the player you're talking to. And they're like, oh, OK, yeah, you went through this. How would you get through it? And even though it's different times. It's, it's not that far. And, and with myself and the same thing and going through those roles, I, I, I played three years in, the, in St. John. Yeah. And a few games with you as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, you have those experiences. You have the bus rides. You have the late nights. You have the three and threes. And you play a one o'clock on a Sunday after you played seven o'clock somewhere else in the, the night before. So it's, it's just experience. And, 
and and Vogues knows that, and Mark Letestu played in the minors, and and Mike Havlin's coached everywhere. He's coached college guys. He's coached uh, um, in the American League. He, he's won a cup with with Chicago. Um, so he's it's his experience, and I think that's what's great about our staff and and everybody we have inside and outside the team. Bob and I talk about all the time. We were in the East Coast Hockey League together. We were in, and he was a radio guy there, and in Syracuse when I was there. And those are the moments we're really proud of in our journey because at the time, you think it's, you know, it, you're kind of like, why me? Why aren't I getting the call to go up? And, you know, no one wants to be down there. I, and I watched your check, and, and I saw what he said, and he's an emotional guy. I mean, I think everyone kind of feels that way when they're on their way down, but no one says it. How do you handle that situation? Is there something that you talk to him about? And I'm, I'm sure he's in a groove now that he's down there and playing. Yeah, and I think the coaches have done a really good job. And and they, the elephant in the room was that you know the article and whatever and whatever he said. But they they talked to him, and he's just he is emotional and he is young. Um, and those two together, you know, sometimes when you get a microphone in front of you, you, you might say something you, you wish you didn't, um, whether he did or didn't. Um, but it's he's he's been great. You know, once he's down there with the guys, he's got friends down there. Uh, the pressure's off a little bit because he's he's a, a unbelievable player. So that pressure of, of performing and doing those things is, is kind of uh, mitigated a little bit. But he's, you know, he, he, he has in, he's starting to learn that he needs reps. He needs ice time. He needs to get over the boards every few shifts. And he needs to be on the power play. He needs to be in the penalty kill. And if he's up here sitting in the stands or playing limited time, it's just not good for his growth. He's a young, young player. He's going to play for 15 years. You know, um, he just needs that experience, and it's just reps, it's reps, it's reps, over and over and over again. And then he's going to be up here, and he's going to play and never look back. I think. Didn't you have a similar experience when we were in St. John? Yeah, yeah, up and down, up and down. You know, I, I get called up because guys got hurt, so that was my in. And then they get back, and then I go down. But it wasn't. I never got my footing until I got that experience, and then until you. When, when it was, you know, back then, it was get the puck, like, don't make any mistakes. Now you're allowed to make mistakes, and you're allowed to, you know, <laughs> use your talents. Not that I had many talents, but I wasn't allowed to make mistakes. And once I figured out, all right, I'm going to be lights out in the defensive zone, then I got more and more shifts, and then I got more and more time, and I got, you know, extended time in the NHL, whether and they didn't want to, like, send me back, and then there was a time when they are like, all right, he's ready. But that's just that I wasn't a first round pick, obviously, but those guys, even first round picks need time. They just need those those reps to go over and over. Isn't it interesting, though, uh, the higher you get, the more specialized you have to get at something. I, I think you have to define your role to a T. And you said you became a checking uh, more of a checking player. And I look at Cole Sillinger here and we're starting to see glimpses of him figuring out to play the short game, like play the game in front of you. And for him, he's a penalty killer now. Uh, he's been a, a good centerman and kind of taking care of those details. That's the evolution of a pro. And I think, isn't that some of the things these young guys really need to figure out and the ones that figured out quicker get there quicker? Yeah, 100%. There's only a handful of guys that you're allowed to do whatever you want because that one or two times you get that break. Like you mentioned, I played with Ovechkin. He was the guy that can hang out at the far blue line because if he got a breakaway, He's going to score. If I hung out at the far blue line, I was probably going to dump it in. They're like, what are you doing up there anyway? <laughs> so get back and play defense. But it is. Young guys have to figure out. Because everybody that makes it to the NHL, everybody that makes it to the AHL were stars somewhere. They were the best players on their team in junior, in college, or whatever, in the evolution. So you look at any team, they're all first-line guys somewhere else. 
in the American League, and then you look at, and then they get to the NHL, they were probably first-line guys in the American League. Now the NHL is full of players. Well, there's only three first-line guys and two defensemen. So you got to find a role. And until you do, if you're not the elite of the elite, you need to find that role. So you look at um, David Savard. I always bring him up to some of our de defensemen. Like He was the best player in the, the Quebec League, the best defenseman, highest-scoring defenseman, and, and won the awards. He comes up here, and he, he figured out, like, I'm going to be a big, heavy, shut down. Still got the skill. We see it every once in a while. We saw it here. But he had to be that big, heavy, shut down defenseman that he's become. Um, and, and it happens everywhere. All these guys are just the best, and then you got to figure out, or if I want to stay in this league, I'm going to figure out how to do this really well, like you said, really, really well on the face-offs, or I'm a really good defender um, on the PK, or, or whatever it is, you find that role, and, and then sometimes you can move up from there. You just got to get your foot in the door. How frustrating is it for you? I guess frustrating. I'll, I'll use the word frustrating because – you can see holes in, in uh, organization. So say you see a need in Columbus and you tell a player, hey, if you play this role, you might get an easier chance to get up. And they can't figure out how to play that role. I mean, is that something that you do or is that something you approach uh, throughout the season? Yeah, it's a combination of myself. It's the coaches, obviously. They're, they're constantly, hey, you want to get up there showing them video and showing them over and over. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the guys because I have that relationship with the players as well. Um, Dorsett will come in, Nash will come in if they have that relationship with some of these young guys. So it's, you know, you even talk to the agents. You're like, hey, you know, he's got to figure this out. And the agents know. They, they've been around forever. They, they know the game, too. Um, so it, it's just a combination. And all of a sudden, sometimes that light switch goes off, and they're like, oh, I, now I get it. So it just, it's, you have to get through it. Some guys have to see it, have to go through it until they really, truly believe because they, they believe in themselves and they believe in their skill, which they should. Um, but sometimes you, you have to, to, to show them or, or really kind of get them to, to dig in on those certain things you really think they should do. And sometimes those situations have to come up too, Bob, right? You, you, don't, you have to experience being in that situation. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to, to get, you know, we, we went through our whole, our whole list last year of, of players that were in our system, got to play NHL games. But there's sometimes, there's some years there's, there's no time to get a player up because there's you have to f make a hole for them like sometimes the, the holes are there because we have injuries or sickness or you know when COVID was happening we had we had time to call these players up and it was right in front of them um, but sometimes you have to find a, a hole for these guys and, and, and plug them in so it's it's you got to be ready I always tell the guys you have to be ready for that time when you get called up because it, it's it's opportunity and you better be ready because sometimes you, you're not ready when the opportunity comes, and that might be your only time that year or only time ever. And sometimes your opportunity doesn't quite get there, but you still have to be ready because it, it could be that time you're, you know, you, you went out the night before or you did something you shouldn't have or you stayed up late playing video games and you get a call at 6 in the morning and you got a flight at 8.30. Oh, you got to be ready. Bad. Yeah. So it's, it's, I always tell these guys, keep your phones on, bring suits with you because you never know when it's going to happen. Just think you guys, <clears throat> back in the day, before the phones, I mean, like now you can get a hold of a guy right right away, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, back in, in the days that all of us were in the minor leagues, and I'm talking late 90s into the early 2000s, that wasn't a thing. Like, people had to track you down. And if you were in the American Hockey League and they tracked you down to say you were coming up, that was great. If you were in the National Hockey League, <laughs> you're trying to hide so they can't send you back down, right? I never went back to my hotel room until like midnight. <laughs> I didn't want to see that blinking light on my phone. Takes so. the phone off the hook. <laughs> hey, I want to go back to, you were talking about David Yurichek and, and the frustration 
I talked to Mark Mathot last night in Ottawa. And, you know, Mark was a guy that I was in Syracuse when he was there, and he kept coming back. He was there for a year, and then he was back the next year. Then he was back again. And he said, he goes, yeah, it ended up working for me. I wasn't happy with it at the time. He goes, but but it worked for me because you played in the NHL for a long time. But he had an interesting take. He said, but now the game is so different, and it's so much younger. And you see guys that are looking at other guys in their draft class that are already there and are already doing it. And then the question becomes, well, if they can do it, why am I not getting a chance to do it? Is there a lot more psychological stuff going on maybe now more than there ever was before? Oh, 100%, because it's, it's right there on your phone. You can see the highlights. You can see the stats. You can see everything that we had to really look up, you know, 20 years ago. Where you had to we get had the to, paper in the morning. And, <laughs> hey, did you see who got hurt last night? <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> exactly. So, But now it, it, it is like that where – it's, it's right in front of you, and it's, it's like I said before, it's opportunity. Like some teams might have the opportunity to bring that same guy. You might have, might have guys in our system that are way more talented than guys on other teams in their systems, but they had the, the hole to fill. They had an injury. They had a sickness. They had something that, that got the guy called up. He deserved it probably, but you need that opportunity. So sometimes it's, that's what it is, and that's, that's a really hard thing for, to, to talk to a player about because they know. They know they're better than this player or that player, and that player is playing in the NHL. And we, we, every year it's the same thing. But, and it, I'm sure it's like that on other teams. Like we had everybody play last year for the most part, er, basically everybody in our system. But I'm sure there was guys on other teams that were way better than some of the guys that got called up. But we just had to fill that need. Um, so it is very psychological, and that's, that's the thing. And players now really want to know why. They want to know, well, why am I doing this, or why do I have to do that? And it's... That's part of our job is to explain it. And whether it's through video, some guys need to see it, some guys need to hear it, and some guys you just tell them and they do whatever. So it's, you're dealing with, you know, in, in, in Cleveland now, we're dealing with 25 different personalities. We have, I think, 25 guys there right now. So you're always, you know, the coaches have the hardest job ever because they just can't coach a team. they got to coach the players. It's the same in the NHL. You're, you're coaching players, not teams and personalities. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really difficult now because everything's out in the open and you can see everything within a second on your phone so yeah those are the really hard things with the players i had that conversation with john tortorella one time he said to me he goes everybody wants to know why you know and that's that was a foreign concept to him from when he started and i said torch you got to understand the answer to every question in the world is in the palm of your hand now with the phone right Mm -hmm. i mean these kids they know why when you don't want them to know why so, of course, you got to talk to him like that. So it's, it's interesting you say that. Um, Trey fix is the guy I want to ask you about because he is an American Hockey League star. And yet when he comes to the National Hockey League, he doesn't put up the same kind of numbers. Now, I do understand he's a top-line guy, top power play, all that stuff in the American Hockey League. But he, he seems, there have been numerous guys like this where it doesn't always seem to transfer to the NHL. Knowing him as well as you do, uh, what's what's the situation there for him specifically? He's exactly what you said. He's, he's got to get over that hump a little bit. And that's a little bit where he's got to, I'm not saying change his game, but he's got to be a little more responsible when he comes up to the NHL because he doesn't have the leash yet. You know, he's got the leash in the in the American League where he can he can go a little farther. He can be the guy taking a chance. He can be the guy that looking for a breakaway or, or a, an errant pass and pick it off because he's going to go down and score because he's that good in the American League. Um you know, he, he could play here. We just need him you need him to play minutes as well. He's still a young player. He's been there for a little while, but he's, he's still a really young player. Uh, he, I, I believe he's going to get here. He's, 
he's the one of the most competitive players we have in our system. Like he wants to win. He doesn't care if it's me, you, whoever scores the goal. He's he wants he wants to win games. Um, so he's he's the guy that's wears his emotions on his sleeve. You can he's yelling at the refs. He's yelling at the other team. He's you know he scored in uh, in over in a shootout yesterday, and he's twirling a stick by the bench, all up <laughs> down by their bench. Um, so, but it, it, he's that type of player where he, it's contagious. Like he he gets the guys going. So he's he's been great for us. Clarky, I'm wondering the philosophy down there with building a team because you have draft picks, you have young players, but you've also got some good veteran guys that really help that room. And and what's that combination like? It's it's. It's hard to do because it, you can have winning teams and you can have development teams, but you really want a little bit of both because you you, you don't want to you, you can't win all the games because then those players you you can have a bunch of thirty year olds or I can get a bunch of old because we have the veteran rule where we're only allowed five or so guys with a certain amount of games, um, but we and I, I could sign some older college guys because there'll be twenty four twenty five coming out, but we kind of mix it with with good prospects and and a lot of our older guys are our next guys in line to make it here too so we don't have that hired gun mentality that you know chicago always does with hershey they always do they just bring in guys that'll never ever be in a in a an nhl uniform but they're going to score 30 goals every year in the american league we don't want that there are guys that, that score 20 whatever goals are gaunts are carson meyer are fixie those are the guys that are the next in line to fill a spot here. Um, and then after that, we have our next wave of, of young guys that need to play big minutes. And um, we have the Del Bell, um, Melatesta, Corson Kuhlemans, um, guys, Juracek, guys like that. They're they're, call-ups, but they just need some time. So, you know, we have that mentality where it's we, we want to win games, but we're not going to sacrifice our young guys playing time to win those games. We want to make the playoffs, and I think I think we hopefully we will this year because we had a pretty good lead at one time. But it, it's not like I said, we're not going to win every game because we're putting guys in situations that we want them to figure out how to play them. We can win a game at the end of the no problem and keep you know Carson Meyer and, and Gons and uh, all of our older guys out there, but we're sacrificing guys getting that uh, experience of going through. Um, a six on five against or a power play against at the end of the game. We want our, we want a Malachester. We want some young guys to, to experience those things. And uh, how much time do you, do you get on the ice with these guys still? Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> I used to all the time, but now that uh, Nasher and, and Doris and um, guys like that have kind of taken over that role, they've uh, I've kind of re removed myself a little bit from it, but I'm around, you know, at every game, I'm at two or three practices a week, and so I'm around the guys. They have questions because it's still a lot of the guys I was dealing with as development coach as well. So it's we still got a pretty good um, relationship with some of these guys. Is it still similar schedule or three and three nights uh, practice? A lot of practices during the week. Yeah, it, it's it's well, we had a game last night, a Tuesday game, um, but for the most part, it's it's a Friday Saturday league. They've limited the amount of three and threes. I think you can only do three this. Oh this year. wow! Yeah, what? I know. It's three That's or four. That's crazy. We have one coming up this week, and we have a three and four the week after. But, yeah, they've eliminated a lot of those. It's Because it's American League. They, they, they pack the places on a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday afternoon. So, Jody, as you know, and yeah. Bob, as you know, oh, those, yeah. those bus trips, they're never in the same place either. <laughs> oh, so I, I used to love the 7 o'clock home game and then the four-hour bus trip to Toronto for the 3 o'clock game Sunday <laughs> afternoon. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Three would have been good. We got the 1 o'clock. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I remember I remember one in hunting uh, Huntington, I think, yeah. on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, my role, I used to just think, all right, let's just cruise through this one. Next thing, third game in three nights. I'm kicked out after three fights. <laughs> So those those battles. So that's a win for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I remember guys saying, "All right, let's just snooze through this one." I'm <laughs> like, "Yeah." The next thing you know, it's fireworks. But you know, they, they talk about it being such an important developmental league, and you know, it, it it really is. And and then I hear people talk about how many games defensemen need to play before they're established in the National Hockey League, and I understand that because there's so many situations within a game. And there's so much ice time you need to get before you really hit that role. And that's a fine line. Is that something that you would have conversations with maybe Pascal or Yarmo where it's like he needs to be on the power play. He needs to play more minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, Steve McCarthy, especially as a defenseman, we're talking to him. And if we're talking about Yerchek, that's the thing. We want him in those positions where he's going to – and it's, like you said, defensemen need those games. It's, you know, it's – a lot of people say it's a 200 games, 200 pro games until they really pro games their ride. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's because it's such an emotional position because you make a mistake. It's like a goal. You make a mistake, it's in the back of the net. You make a mistake as a forward in the offensive blue line, hopefully there's a lot more mistakes coming up before it ends up in your net. But it, as a defenseman, your stick's the wrong way, and it passes through the crease, and it's in the back of your net. And the coaches are like, well, you put your stick here. It's like, yeah, you know, I got to put my stick there. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where they, 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 like you said, they need to go through all these things. They need to be on the ice a little bit. So that kind of twenty-minute mark um, for a defenseman during a game, twenty, twenty-five minutes, somewhere in there for an elite player, um, you kind of want them get because then they're getting, you know, it depends on like if they're not killing penalties, then that might be three or four minutes that they're not getting. If they're not on the power plays, another three or four minutes they're not getting. So we're trying to get these guys in all those situations where they are playing special teams and, and regular regular strength what analytics do you rely on like daily is there like three or, or a small number that you really like you look at first well it if it's a d- defenseman it, it's you know time in their own zone or, or, or um what is it puck touches or, or, or getting the pucks out of the corners things like that um forwards it's offensive generating plays is what are they doing through the neutral zone or, or, or making a play over the blue line or um it's centerman. It's obviously that's an easy one. That's stats that's been around forever. Is winning faceoffs and stuff like that. And so those are just those little things that I'll I'll probably look at after games. And obviously ice time and and plus minus is always there. But that's been a stat that nobody really likes because it's it's it probably ends up at the end of the year all evening out. But there's times where you shouldn't be on the ice for a goal for or a goal against. So those are the the things that I don't uh, look at as much. How about intangibles? You were a great teammate, a leader, a guy that was quiet in the locker room, but you know had presence when it needed to be had. How much do you look at that? How they treat people, how they, how good of a teammate they are, and how they fit in? That's at the top of my list. You know, it's an organizational thing where the McConnells want the best people as as well as the best players, and that's been my philosophy the whole time. You know, when I'm, because I have to kind of supplement some of these guys where I'll go out and find some um, free agents, whether it's pro guys, guys that have played pro already or college free agents or junior free agents. And that's the top of my list, you know, top to, I can see them. I can see their stats. I can see them play. I go right to the coach. All right. How is he in the locker room? You know, Billy Sweezy, you brought him in. He's been one of the best leaders we've, we've had in a long time because he's that, he's the glue down there. That's that's he sparks the guys when they need it. He's the guy that's always talking, but it's a good, always talking. Like he's funny. He's, 
he's joking. He's great with the coaches. He's great with the players. He's great with the media. He's one of those guys that I want our young guys. Because he was a college player. He came in at 23. I want our young guys seeing him. And I don't know if you guys saw the video when he got called up that time last year in La from Laval to here. You know, uh, I think Mark Letestu filmed it. And, but it was, it was raw emotion when the guys were so happy. Because there was guys that... They maybe wanted to get, obviously, a defenseman in the same position, but that was the first guy, you know, running over to him and giving him a high five and a hug and all that stuff. So it, it's one of those things where when you see that, you know that guy is genuinely a big part of the locker room. When you uh, talk about finding players, I, I always think of your network, like people that you know and have made relationships with. And at the time in your career, you probably didn't think of it, but how, that's such a big part. Like, I mean, Craig Conroy, who you played with in Calgary, right? Is yeah. now yeah. the GM yeah. of the Calgary Flames. And all these guys kind of our age are getting an opportunity to do that. It's got to be a big deal for you to, to have this network yeah. that, uh, that you have. NHL network, you know, there's all probably all the U.S. GMs now, Garen, Drury, uh, C-Mac, uh, Mike Greer, all these guys are, well, let's see Max a little bit older, but all these guys I played with or grew up with or against or trained with in the summer, all these guys, Fitzy. Um, so it, it, it's one of those things that that's, that's great. But then I have, when I look at all of the Eastern college teams, I probably know at least one of their staff. Most of the head coaches I know in Hockey East, I'm like, oh my God, I played with them. I, I didn't realize until I was done playing because he kind of put all that stuff to the to the side. And when I started doing development, I I'd go and because I want to ask the coaches about a player, and I'm like, oh, I played with him. Oh, I know. I didn't know he was there. This I, is easy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great. And then I call him up, and it's like old times. Um, so it, it is amazing. The hockey world's so small. It is. It's is the longer you go, the more it's amazing how many guys you you know and your network and all those things. So you can just pick up the phone. And you know you're going to get an honest answer. I, I called guys and like, yeah, you don't want this guy. Yeah, you know, he's, you know, we're we're trying to get rid of him, but you don't want this guy. Yeah, uh, it might be a college, it might be a junior guy, it might be someone else. And it, it's you, and I'm the same way. I'm going to give an honest opinion. I'm like, yeah, you can see what he does on the ice, but I don't know if this is the type of guy you want in your locker room. So um, that honesty, and you have a net, you, you have a network of guys you know that might not be honest too. So you, you figure those things out as well. Agents, those are the, the agents not aren't always honest, but I, I've I've you know six seven guys that I really trust in, in the agent side too. I know if I'm talking about one of their players, they're going to be honest with me and not just give me agent speak. So um, I th I think that's huge. I have one last cl uh, question for you. Have you lobbied Yarmo to get Adam Fantilli for the playoffs in Cleveland? <laughs> it's he he's on my list. I tell you that much. I got a lot of guys on my list. But I think you've got a good case now that he's missing eight weeks, yeah. right? Yeah, eight weeks of development for a first-year player. And then it's going to take him time. He's only going to have maybe, if, if the timetable stands, maybe 10 games left here. He's going to be rusty. He's going to have to put it together. I really think you have a great case. And you got to win yeah. a championship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. there you go. I mean, look at what happened when we, when we won it in uh, 16. Absolutely. Like, all those guys that made it. Well, two goalies on the... On the other team last night, that's right, that's right. night. <laughs> so it, it's one of those things. It, that experience, that's another experience that we're not getting here. Um, and a lot of teams don't get in the NHL for a while, but their American League teams do. And those players bring that experience with them. You know, maybe they had in college and junior or in Europe, they have that winning experience. And they do that uh, in the American League, which is the second best league in the world. 
and then they can carry that into the whether it's the next year or the year after that experience when we're when we're into a playoff run here in, in Columbus they can look back on those experiences as well and you know taking it from me I I was we won it and in St. John New Brunswick we won the championship and I think we had 13 guys the next year play I think 10 played in Calgary and three other guys played around the league but then a couple years after that Calgary we went to the finals and we had uh I don't know, four or five of those same guys that were in the championship in the finals um, playing against Tampa. We didn't end up winning it, but those experiences of playing every other day, and you know, we played a long series, six and seven game series, where we're just every other day and just going and going. And that same experience with when we were in St. John, um, winning it in, uh, in the American League. So that's uh, it's huge. So Bob, I, I, I like what you're saying. Who else you got, Bob? <laughs> it sounds like you're live. What's, what, what's Kent Johnson's game total? Can he still go back down? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd be if I had his job. It that's a no-brainer. These things are no-brainers, right? I go. think Cole passed his threshold, so he's probably can't go. He'd have to clear waivers. But uh, yeah, there's. Guys. I like where your head's at. You know, the grind. <laughs> there's nothing like. I don't care what level you're playing. It doesn't matter where you're playing. When you win a championship, you never forget it. You never forget yeah. the players. You never forget the situations you're in and and the grind of winning. And that would be an, a true. Look at Warinsky. He actually was a D partner of his coach right now, Steve McCarthy. Yeah. Right? But he right. went right from college down there. And you go ask him today, and he says, yeah, it was a great experience, a great way to start my pro career. And uh, you're not asking them to go to Syracuse or Springfield anymore. They're going to Cleveland. Yeah. And the playoffs will happen when the Guardian season starts. And, oh, that's you know, fun. I mean, yeah. it's really, the American League has changed so much. And my buddies I talk to that work in the Western Conference, boys, it really changed out there, right? I mean, they're in California all the time. It's Palm Springs. It's a joke. San Jose. I mean, San the places Diego. that we were, right? <laughs> Look, St. John, New Brunswick, no offense, guys, but, I mean, <laughs> would you take San Diego over St. John? Seriously. I, yes. <laughs> not St. John. Wait a minute. Not St. John's Newfoundland. Although, John, <laughs> uh, you did not have to leave the confides of, uh, you didn't have to go outside. Yeah. No. You stay in the hotel. Yeah, that's right. And walk through there the was mall. A there was a, hip, a Tim Hortons, so you can catch that on, on the way in for breakfast, on the way back for lunch. You can, there was yeah. three or four restaurants in there, yeah. so you never had to go outside. We used to hang out in Mall Walk and have some fun, and there was bars in there. The Rockies. Right. Rockies in between the rink, the Delta Hotel and the rink. You'd pass all kinds of stuff. Yeah. See, and that's exactly the experiences exactly. that we've been talking about here for the past 20 minutes or so. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, great to have this conversation. Best of luck to you and the Cleveland Monsters as you're looking to get into the playoffs and then make a push, big push thereafter. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Chris Clark, general manager of the Cleveland Monsters. We'll be back to wrap up this week's edition of the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank right after this on 97.1 The Fan. 2024-25 ticket plans are on sale right now. You can choose the games and the seats that you want. You also score big bonus ticket rewards, food and merchandise discounts, and incredible ticket savings. Learn more by going to bluejackets.com slash ticket plans. Ready to wrap up this week's edition of the Inside Edge presented by First Merchants Bank. And Jody, when we look around the league this week, it's very easy to pick the top story. Morgan Riley yesterday suspended five games by the NHL. This goes back to Saturday night. The Toronto Maple Leafs lose in Ottawa to the Senators. Ridley Gregg goes in for an empty netter at the end of the game and about three feet outside the crease. He slap shots it right into the net. Morgan Riley takes exception, comes over, cross-checks him in the neck. That gets him his five games. There, is, there was just a ton of talk between Saturday night 
and yesterday when the ruling came down as to what's the suspension going to be? Was this the right thing to do? Who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? I ask you, former NHL player, when you looked at this situation, what did you see? What did you feel? Well, I thought really, Greg, it was a statement play, you know, and, and when you do that, when you when you make a play like that, it's disrespectful to the other team. It is. It's just when you're on the bench of a, of a team that that happens, you, you kind of stand up and say, hey, that, you know, it's not necessary. OK, you got the empty net goal, but, you know, I, I like a reaction. I, I, I want to be on a team that reacts to that. I don't like a cross check to the neck. I mean, nobody should ever receive a cross check to the neck. Uh, I don't think Morgan Riley intended to cross check him in the neck. I just think he reacted when he got in tight. When you get close to someone and you feel like it's, you know, you're going to engage with them, you just want to, you just want to, you know, let them know, just throw them on the ice or just slam them against the boards. Uh, but it got away from Riley there. I think the suspension is right. Going off with Perron, Perron, I think got six yes. for the, some, a cross check to the neck uh, on a reaction in front of the net. And, you know, I love that Riley reacted. I think that. That is the right thing to do is to react. Wrong thing to do is get the cross check in there because you have a young player who's um, a little bit. He stepped out of the boundaries, I thought. And um, if if it if I'm on a team or no one reacts, I'm worried. If I'm on a team or someone reacts, I like it. I think that that is the product of the video game generation. Honestly, the slap shot into the empty Nintendo net. 64. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's just. It, the um, the celebrations, the I'll say showboating. That might not be the word that I'm looking for, but it, it's becoming a little bit more prevalent in the game. Now, some people will say, okay, well, in the NFL, players with nobody around them will launch themselves in the air from the three-yard line and somersault into the end zone. Nobody gets punched. Uh, the NBA, a guy late in the game, team has a lead. He gets a, a breakaway all by himself, and he goes in, and he does this uh, like he's in a slam dunk contest just to throw it in your face. But that's those games have different cultures than this game has, right? Yeah. I mean, Bob, last night, was it Pavel Barber? Is that the guy's name? What's the guy Barber that does the trick shots on ice? He was in oh. Ottawa doing the trick shots. Oh, in, yeah, in the yeah, intermission. yes, yeah. That's I right, mean, it's yeah. amazing what they can do yeah. with the puck. Um, you know, it used to be the uh, first when someone would try that, the Michigan behind the net. Oh, you can't do that. Right. Why are you making it? No, that's great. I mean, that's good for <laughs> hockey. Those are things that are accepted now. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I also think there's an element of hockey where you're allowed to fight. Right. You know, you're allowed to get punched in the face. And actually, that sums it all up right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this isn't the only sport where you're able to settle things and clear those things up so as long as there's that in the game I think that um, those things will will be in there in a small way but I just think that everybody knows you can fight everybody understands that you can drop the gloves and sometimes you're gonna have to be ready for it and it depends on what you do I mean if you go in and slash the goalie in the head and you don't mean to do it you're probably going to get punched in the face that's the beauty of our game so if you want to take a slap shot on an empty net and show us up if I'm on the team, well, I'm glad that the defenseman that was closest to it went over and got in his face and um, and reacted. That that's that's the element of this is still hockey. This is still NHL hockey. And um, I'm going to get down off of my uh, my soapbox now, but that's th that's the part we love. I thought it was funny. Greg didn't talk about it at all 
Like he hadn't spoken about it. And then last night he scored a goal in the game last night. He tipped a shot that Tarasenko took. And then they were having him on the post-game interview on the ice. I, I did notice that. I, I couldn't stick around to hear what they talked to him about, but uh, but he, he did it again. And I, I, will, I will tell you this, pregame, I don't know if you saw this, pregame they were running highlights from the Leafs game. And when that play came on the scoreboard, the fans still reacted to it. They time. cheered. Yeah, they cheered. Well, the, all the, now, the only thing I did notice is that what was missing from that replay on the scoreboard was the actual Morgan Riley hit. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, Greg was saying after in that interview, he's gotten a lot of attention. And mm -hmm. he seems like a guy that's very not used to that. Yeah. So he, he's, <laughs> he's in a different spot. And he's a guy that's an agitator. Like, he's a guy that gets under the skin of uh, the opposition. So... When he does that and then goes along the boards like nothing's happened and not expecting <laughs> to get hit, I was surprised. I thought he should have done it, put his back against the glass, dropped his gloves and been ready and kind of put his arms in like, come on, who's ready? Because there's no one out there that's going to beat him up. Actually, that would have been a, a bigger highlight and <laughs> no <have> suspension. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a really good point. But uh, that's the big story right now in the National Hockey League. So uh, we begin and end with that. Blue Jackets getting set to go out to California and take on the Sharks, the Kings, and the Ducks. Take a raincoat. Yeah, I know. It's uh, February in San Jose, Bob. I remember being uh, – we were always on the road because the ATP tour, the tennis tour, was mm -hmm. always in town. And it was like a three-week road trip. And I would call home, and it was miserable. <laughs> Just rain all of, all of February. So, yeah, that's our timing this year. The weather's always miserable at home when you go on the road. <laughs> You're right. It really is. I know. It's All part right. of the business. All right, Jody, thank you very much. Thanks, Appreciate Bob. it. All right. Yeah, that game on Saturday in San Jose, by the way, gets underway at 1030 here in Columbus. And uh, pregame coverage, both on the radio network and on Valley Sports, will begin at 10 o'clock. Thanks to Chris Clark for being our guest tonight. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Inside Edge, presented by First Merchants Bank. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot. Thanks for listening to 97.1 The Fan.